Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 66 of Season 5 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee-ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is John from the Dirty Harry Minute. Welcome back to the show, John. Many thanks for having me, Rob. Um, it's been a while. It seems like it's been a while. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, well, that's because you know we only were able to do half a week in uh, with with uh, Die Hard. You know, the, the the personal issues you know got in the way, so you know, we only got to do I think it was two two episodes maybe. So hopefully this time yeah. we'll, we'll get we'll get through the whole week without you having to you know take care of other more important things in life. Yeah. Well, back then I had two year olds, and now I have three year olds. So it's amazing developmentally <laughs> what. Um, an extra year can do in guaranteeing sleep to parents. So fingers crossed, everything's going to go very well this time. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> okay. I, I hope so too. I hope so too. You know, it's the, the, the way these things work, you know, we need we to, we need to, to, that's right. We, we need to figure out how to, you know, how to balance everything together. So why not? All right. So, Episode 66 begins with Barnes continuing his brainstorming idea and ends with John getting rebuffed by the DOJ. So basically the way we ended things on Friday was that, you know, Barnes and his engineers are trying to figure out, okay, how are they going to do this? How are they going to find some way to communicate with the airplanes without, you know, the, the, the bad guys finding out? And... At the end of Friday's episode, Barnes started getting this great idea. He started having this flash of, of an idea. And he basically started saying, so who says the radio signal has to? And then he get he got cut off. So today we, we continue with this conversation where he says, so who says the radio signal has to just beep? And one of the other guys says, right. We switched the frequency from the tower over to the one in the beacon. We pump up the wattage, and then Barnes goes, and we can talk to our planes, and those bastards who did this will never know. So, I mean, I have, first first of all, a few questions about this. I, first of all, I like the way that they explain this, okay, that they explain it to us of how the things are going to go. I like the fact that they finally have agreed on what it is that they, they want to do, and that they're more or less doing what Victor did last week. Okay, basically, you know, if you're listening on a certain frequency to – you know the 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 outer beacon the the outer marker beacon. So all you do is just switch the number. So you know instead of listening to the you know the, the, you you take the tower and you just change the frequency and that's it. And I mean it it sounds a lot simpler. I mean I'm not a an engineer. I'm sure that there might be hopefully there are engineers listening here that will be able to tell us if this really is plausible. But it sounds plausible. Unlike a lot of other things in this movie that don't sound plausible at all, you know that all they have to do here is pump up the wattage, whatever that means. I know, I know what pump up the volume is. Do you know what pump up the wattage is? Are you familiar with that term? Mm, not really. I movie? mean, I know scientifically it means just amplify the signal, right? Um, I don't know. I'm assuming you've done the due diligence on that definition. Uh, no, right? no, I didn't. I, I didn't. Oh. I didn't because you know I'm not, I'm not a science guy. And I figured it's Nor not worth I. trying to. It's not trying to explain. It's not worth to have me try and explain the science of something that I have absolutely no idea what 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 it really means. 
you know, it's, I guess, you know, I'm sure Jim's listening to this and saying to himself, oh, well, that's really simple. All you got to do is uh, X, Y, and Z, and and then everything's fine. Uh, but, but that's why, you know, Jim, Jim, actually, I should have asked Jim. <laughs> he would have been the perfect person to ask on, on how to actually, you know, uh, understand what it is that they're trying to do there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you and, can explain uh, to me, Rob. Do you do you think it's reasonable that the the bad guys don't know about this uh, possibility either? Is that within the realm of possibility? Surely they'd know that there are other frequencies. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get there too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a big problem with that. I, I have a feeling that, you know, if they have all the equipment, then they're also able to listen to the the outer marker beacon. And they would they would figure out that there's something wrong and that, you know, why is the outer marker beacon talking as opposed to beeping? I mean, I know there aren't that many bad guys left that are listening to everything, but you'd think that they're they have everything being monitored at some way, shape or form, even if they just keep it on a speaker. You know, they would be able to hear that, you know, they would they would hear this constant beeping. I mean, I. I've tried to, to understand what the whole idea of the outer marker be- beacon is, you know, that it's just, you know, making a beep, beep, beep sound, as as Barnes says. But if that's the case, does that mean that there's someone on each plane that is constantly listening just to a beeping sound? Or is it like a background noise? Is it like that you cross over something, you hear the beep, and you're like, okay, I'm there, and then that's it? You know, that, that, yeah. that's my biggest question about it. And, you know, when, when uh, you know, a few, a few weeks ago, uh, as, as everyone who's listening already heard, you know, I, I, I had Hal Bryan on, uh, who, oh, wow. who is an experienced pilot, you know, and he was talking a little bit about how the outer uh, marker beacon works. And, you know, my understanding was, okay, so it just you hear the beeps and therefore you know where you are. But he also said that nowadays it's it's used less than it was 33 years ago when this movie was made, because there's the, the technology has changed a bit. But my assumption is is that Stewart and his men are able to hear this, which is something that goes completely against everything that Barnes is trying to say here, because there's no way of hiding this type of information. If they yeah. have, if they have. You know, and, and first of all, let, let's even go further. And let's say, you know, Barnes doesn't even know that they've taken over the all the controls of the tower. Okay, which things in the tower they're able to do, which ones they're not, I, I couldn't tell you. But what I could tell you is that <laughs> you don't take a chance on that type of thing. The assumption is that they have control of everything. Yep. You know, and just I'm to, assuming just to automatically say, just to automatically assume and say, oh well. The outer, the outer marker beacon. There, there's no way that they're going to be able to hear that. That's just a little far-fetched in my mind. Precisely. I'm, I'm assuming they've got an old-fashioned, you know, oscillator or something that's picking up every VHF, UHF, ZHF signal in the world to see at least if something's changing. You know, something changes dramatically suggests there's a another signal going out. But um, yeah. Anyway, we can park that little gripe for later, I suppose. Right. Five of them are dead, and there are seven left that are monitoring everything, including, you know, guarding the, the you know, the, the daycare center slash, uh, you know, old church at the same time. <laughs> so, you know, there's only seven of them. So, 
you know, they're limited in what they can, what they can handle. But I don't think that, that, you know, Barnes's assumption that they've skipped over the outer beacon, the outer marker beacon is, is correct. You know, but I guess it works for the plot. So let's move it along. There's so, so many things in this movie that, you know, don't, don't make sense from in our reality, but in their reality, apparently it does. Apparently in Barnes's mind, there is absolutely no reason for them to be listening to the outer marker beacon. So therefore, they're not listening to it. And I guess we need to take that at face value. Speaking of things not making sense, this minute, watching it, when you gave me this minute, it really helped me. I mean, it's a whole 10, 15 seconds of exposition recapping. And at the end of the movie, you think, hang on, like, why don't they just use those special phones? Or surely, the, I mean, it's a northeast corridor of, america there's heaps of airports around surely all of them have got enough fuel to get to you know nearby virginia airports or whatever but it covers that all off very quickly and you sort of forget when you're looking back on the movie oh that's right why couldn't they yeah you've got the exposition dump that covers it all or covers it all up but then you forget about this you know an hour later and you go oh correct why couldn't they exactly yeah. i mean on, on friday we talked all about it we talked all about the fact of you know that they they could have gotten to you know, so many different cities with the with the 90 minutes of fuel that they had left, you know, and instead have them circle around. But again, that that that's what moves the plot forward. You know, there isn't much you can do about that. And the fact that they were talking about the the air phones, so, you know, how only five of the 18 planes that are circling above have air phones and they were only able to get through to two of them, meaning that Holly's plane, it doesn't matter how many air phones are on the plane, they can't get through to them. I mean, forget about the fallacy that you can't call an air phone. At least you couldn't in 1990. I, I don't know nowadays if you can call an air phone. Uh, I don't know if you would want to because most people will just have, you know, Wi-Fi on the plane and they can use any type of, uh, you know, VoIP to, to make calls to people. You know, they could they could be Skyping like we are, you know, while they're on the plane. <laughs> so I don't think did, you really where, need. Yeah. Where did you get to last minute on the issue of whether they could, find portable lights to put on the runway did you sort of i mean niall probably love that bit about where do you get those lights batman but i suppose they would have just been shot or that the the bad guys would have found out somehow and where did you sort of wrestle on that couldn't they have got lights? Well, we, 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 lights we we pretty much glossed over it because it just sounds so ridiculous you know yeah. <laughs> it's not something we talked more about the fact that that batman uses it as opposed to you know, whether it's feasible for them to, to use it here on the plane or not, you know, on the ground. I mean, there, there, there are other problems that we talked about last week. Okay, the fact that, you know, when, when Sam Coleman is giving her report and she mentioned mm -hmm. the fact that only run, one runway has been closed, but if she's standing out at the runway, she would see that all the runway lights on all the other runways are also off. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. You know, so, so I, I don't know, just, you know, hauling out uh, a whole bunch of uh, portable lights uh just isn't really very feasible so we, we 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 didn't really go into that much detail on it i mean Niall Niall was on it to, you know week three and you know we didn't we didn't yeah. talk about uh, batman at the time and you know there there wasn't really he wasn't on last week so i couldn't really discuss that with him even though it would be interesting to hear his uh take on it so Niall, if you're listening you know feel free to let us know what what you think about uh using the bat signal to to try to help uh, land these planes who knows? <laughs> I'm sure you've and then, already your your guests have made a lot of jokes about airplane, you know, the parody of airplane. Put all the lights you can on yes, that field, and then, yeah, yeah, blah blah blah. 
I don't know what I should uh, should mention and not. <laughs> but um, you can you can mention whatever you want. That's fine. You know, we probably talked about this this motley group of cardigan sort of uh, planners. They're jumping into action now. They've got a plan that Barnes has enlightened them on. And I don't think we we sort of see them again. Oh, we don't talk to them, do we? Any of his colleagues here mm. by the machines? No, I don't think so. I, I believe this is the only time we actually even see them. Uh, and what struck me was actually what my, what, one of them said, Let, struck, "Let's run down to Radio Shack." You know that that. that oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what struck me Rob, was the general age of these sort of whiz. Like if it was a new movie, it'd be young, snappy kids with witty dialogue, like you know the guy in the Bond movie, the new Q. There'd be young kids with snarky comments, but here it was sort of. Uh, still the middle-aged uh, actors that were the, given these sort of roles, uh, anonymous sort of background um, planning uh, characters. Which I would say makes sense because, you know, that is what was going on in the, the late 80s and early 90s. You know, yeah. it, it, it was still it was still a time where most of the people who were dealing with that are, are, are middle-aged as opposed to being – because you, you want experienced people there. You know, they, they also they want claim, people good eyesight. <laughs> Not to, you know, put limits on. Who but they, they, also claim, yeah. they also claim that this type of job is one of the most uh, stressful jobs that one can hold. Yeah. So, you know, you want someone who's able to, to handle that stress. And the, the, I guess the assumption is that someone who's been doing it for 20 years can handle the stress better than uh, someone who's just out of uh, university or something like that. I don't yeah, know, I don't man. Know. One of them's cracking. One of them's. <laughs> you see, one of them's got a Venus flytrap on his um, in the background there. I don't know if that suggests a stable mind. <laughs> then again, I don't know who who would uh, own a Venus flytrap. Probably very kind, kind people. Um, possibly. I, I actually didn't even notice that there was someone with a Venus flytrap. Where Where did you? Oh, there you go. That's Either right. That or a it's, watermelon. It's, it's Audrey. Yeah. Audrey. Is that Audrey? Audrey two. Audrey three. <laughs> from Little Shop of Hers. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, also oh, I get you. <laughs> it's been a while. Oh since wow, I did. I didn't even catch that. That is a great catch, John. You know, I I, I did not see that beforehand. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, he's uh, and and finding out who these guys are is not was not uh, is actually is virtually impossible because on IMDb they have like twelve people listed as engineers. And oh, right. you know, just just going through them by pictures doesn't really help because you know the ones who do have pictures, the the pictures don't necessarily resemble what they looked like 33 years ago. So it's a little yeah. more difficult to try and figure it out. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, some of them have uh, passed on. So it's 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 not that that simple to figure out. And, and they also all pretty much have uh, uh, throwaway lines here. You know, they're 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 there. To give Barnes the support that he needs, but that's about it. <laughs> so yeah, I can't tell you who any of them are. And then the the, the scene changes, oh, we're, and yep. and we we're we're back in the police station, and we see someone drop a very large uh, box on a countertop that looks like it's been ripped because it has like a you know a ribbon that was connected to something and it was ripped out. That type of thing. And then uh, one of one of the the guys in 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 uh, blue blue light, who is listed here as the second sergeant, that's that's who he's that's how he's listed in the credits here, played by Jason Ross Azikiwa. I, I hope I uh, I probably completely mangled that name, 
but uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, uh, how, how do you uh, how do you spell that? Uh, so he spells it uh, so Jason Ross dash A Z I K I W E, and he actually has uh, a lot of of credits on IMDb. He has uh, 44 credits, but most of them are TV shows that he was on, like one episode or two episodes of. I, I went through the list. There was nothing that really struck out, stuck out at me uh, as, you know, something that I would remember him from besides uh, seeing him in this movie, obviously. And then he says, trace the signal, found it in the luggage area. They've been tapped into your tower chatter all night. So... I, I, the assumption here is, is okay, this is what Cochran and Miller were doing when they were playing around in the luggage area. Okay, this is, a hum, this is a humongous box for them to have to connect and to, for them to, for Cochran to have somehow carried inconspicuously. You know, even if it was in the, the package that they were carrying, it looks like it's something yeah. that's pretty heavy. And the, exactly. when he was carrying the package, it seemed as if it was something that was, that was a lot more... Um, you know, a lot lighter than the way it looks here. So I, I don't know. I, I, I have a little trouble believing that that's uh, what what they what they have there. Now, did you notice that in the background when he uh, drops that that box and it like pans up a little bit? There's like a sign on on a pole right next to Trudeau. Oh, yeah. Did you were you able to read you what are that the says? First stop. You are the first stop in. Stopping an injury. Oh, sorry. Please then complete. No, I can't read the bottom lines. Oh, Mr. Right. Optometrist, I Rob. I, I can't like... read it either. But I, my, I, I was understanding that this is like for a blood drive. You know, you were yeah. the first stop in 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 uh, in helping. In helping. I, that's that's what it looks like to me. It's it's very blurry. I wasn't able to get a very clear picture oh, of it. In helping helping something blood supply. Right. And and yep. I mean the, the the plus at the bottom is is what really gave it away that it's something that has to do with uh, you know the Red Cross or something like that. I I tried looking it up, tried trying tried to find this, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Mm. Uh, so but but it does look like this is what they you know the, I guess the the police and it, it it's funny that they would have this here you know after although the blood that that uh, has we've we've seen in this movie so far you yeah. know it's a little ironic that that they're going to have this right here because again you know the the five SWAT guys are all from this unit uh and the the five of them bled all over the place so you know now they definitely need a blood blood drive to you know not that they can help any of those guys but still yeah i don't know i just yeah. thought it was very funny that they have it there now what he says is okay he traced the signal what signal where were they? Were they? What were they looking for? Hmm. Once again, we're not. Find, yeah, we're not engineers. You know, what, but it's a bit weird that the. Well, I don't know why. It's weird that the luggage area would be tapped into the tower, don't you think? Like why? That was my next question. Electrical. Did I have written down yeah. here? Strange. Um. Again, it, it helps the plot move along. I think that's the reason for it. You know, because they you... they didn't want to have that 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 little fight uh, somewhere else. You know, need to be in a secluded place. Lots of unexplained uh, steam and and stuff. <laughs> I'm no doubt you're talking That's about true. that in the relevant minutes. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
yeah, so I have absolutely no idea why why that would be in, in the luggage area. But again, and then he says they've been tapped into your tower chatter all night. But, uh, you know, so this is how they got it got into, you know, their their comm system. Yeah. You know, if they've if they've if they've cut off every if they've taken over control of all of the equipment in in the uh, in the tower. So what exactly, you know, you think if they had a bug in the tower itself, then they would be able to listen to all the comm chatter. You know, and again, it doesn't exactly. really make sense with what he's saying here. Um, why do you think? Grant's man has done this. Is it just to show that they're capable and and a bit of goodwill to sort of throw anyone off the scent? Like just to sort of show that they're they're competent and um, I mean they don't really. Well, maybe this was maybe this was part of all of the you know part of the, the major plan that they would have that so that when major that when, when Grant's uh, men show up, they have something to do. To show that they're competent, meaning that it could be that 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 Cochran and Miller's uh, mission was basically a diversion. Mm. You know, let's hook something up, and therefore, when Grant eventually shows up, he's gonna he's gonna get credit points for showing them, hey, look what I just did. I found, you know, the way that they've been listening to everything that you've been doing. So give me brownie points for that, and I'm on your side. Yeah, that, and that maybe throw that people off. I guess. Yeah, that's right. And throw off that's small right. little clues, like when he when he barges in in a second, he goes, "I want to hear about that plane." It's like, don't you want right. to hear about the other stuff? <laughs> Why do you want to right. know about the plane? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and and then the 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 shot pans around, and we get to see everyone else who's in the room, and we we see it lingers on Lorenzo for for a fraction of a second, and you know he he looks a little embarrassed at this point, because then John says to him. Punk steel and luggage, huh, Carmine? <laughs> and he doesn't even doesn't, wait for a response. Yeah, that's right. But it doesn't give the audience really much time to see uh, Lawrence that embarrassed because it's pretty quick. What's up with yeah. America? Why are these guys that's true. But you, you see, you, pointed you, in the air? Jesus. Uh, yeah, well, where else is he going to point it? <laughs> well, down at the ground? There's, I don't there's know. A, He's a hyper alert. There's a terrorist threat. <laughs> I yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, have, you, have you ever held an M16 like that? No, man, I'm a pacifist. Okay. Never. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this seems a bit. That's fine. Um, you can you can be a pacifist, but sometimes I, you I, might need to use a weapon. <laughs> I guess. So. But we'll never, not we're here. not getting into that. No, yeah. no, not here. But the bottom line is, is that I, I've held an M16 that way, and it gets very tiring. And therefore, yeah. no one who really knows how to use an M16 would carry it that way. You would, you would have it strapped, you know, around your shoulder, or across your body, or something like that. You, you wouldn't hold it like that. This, this is clearly an actor who was told, okay, stand there to look menacing, so that that everyone sees, you know, the the M16. That's all it is. If you play and then John, cards right, you could be in a Rambo movie next. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and then John turns around and starts walking away. And he like goes around the counter and comes up to one of the, the other guys from Blue Light and goes, how you doing, Telford? And he goes, no, good. 
I called Langley. They're rigging a portable decoder. It'll be here in two hours. So, I mean, first of all, it says a lot about the technology of the 1990s. You know, that, I mean, Telford, Telford's job is basically to try and crack the, you know, the code on, on their radio frequency that we're not able to hear. That, that's more or less what, what, what he's there for. And do you know who this actor is who plays Telford? Did you, did you take a look at that by no. any chance? No, I didn't. All right. So he's, his name is Patrick. His name is Patrick O'Neill. All right. He was born on the 14th of September, 1967. He only has 14 IMDb credits, but he is the son of Ryan O'Neill and late Taylor Young. Really? Okay. Yeah. And do you know, and he, he's currently a sportscaster and mm-hmm. he has two children with Rebecca de Mornay. Wow. He's, uh, he, I mean, according to IMDb, they're not married. But but uh, you know they've they've been together for like thirty years, or something like that. Hmm. So and and she's like ten years older than him also, because he's 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 actually very young here. He's only like twenty two at the time this movie was made. Uh, sorry, he was born in sixty seven. He was twenty three. Okay, he's twenty three when this movie was made. Do you recall and other movies he was in? Anything else? Anything n- other ones? There's nothing. No, there's nothing that, that really stuck out. This was the only one that, that I really uh, could could see something from him. But again, for me, it was much more important knowing the fact that he is uh, a companion of Rebecca de Mornay. You know, that, that, <laughs> that, no, that stuck out more. You know, the, that fact. Yeah, he was, he was in, he had small roles in uh, Wild Hogs. That was his last movie in 2007. He was the family dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there any other movie that he was in that that I would even recognize? He was on one episode of uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Uh, he was he was on an episode of China Beach. Th- those are pretty much the the highlights of his uh, movie career. So yeah, and so you know Talford's job is to be the decoder, and then he gives us a very important uh, plot point right now. Because first of all, he tells John, okay, that the the decoder, they're going to send a decoder that will only be here in two hours, you know, which mm. uh, seems to be a very long time to get from Langley to to Dulles, because the the trip from Langley to Dulles is is a lot closer than two hours. But I guess they they need to find something. I don't know because it's you know it's Langley, Virginia. Right. Or so what would be your guess? How how long do you think it would take to get from Langley Langley, Virginia to to Dulles? All right. Well, we do have Christmas traffic, but all things being equal, I, I don't know. I'm just making this up. Is it 50, is it 50 miles? Would it take a, it is 50 40 minutes? 15 miles. 15 miles. Oh, it takes, it's close. a 20-minute 20, 20 drive. Wow. <laughs> Christmas traffic. So a 20-minute drive. That apparently. Yeah. And no, I think it just it takes longer for them to actually find a decoder. And it, it makes it sound as yeah. if it's something that's really huge that they, that they need to somehow disassemble and then reassemble. When they get to uh, to Dillon. that that would be my guess for that, uh, because they say they have to rig a portable decoder, you know. And then John's response is, "Well, my wife doesn't have two hours." And then we get this important plot device from from uh, young Patty O'Neill, who says, "I was only transferred to Grant's team yesterday. The regular guy got an appendicitis, <laughs> but word is 
nobody's better at this than Major Grant. So I, I love the fact that they just throw this in. Yeah. I mean, you know, in real life, yeah. I mean, we know why it's relevant. We know why it's important later on. But what, what an odd thing to say in real life. Unless, I mean, McLean already knows his name. We haven't seen him in the previous minute, has he? It's just a fast friend that McLean's made. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Maybe first time that we see that, that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very yeah, odd thing yeah. to say. <laughs> Unless he's saying, I'm sorry, I can't unscramble it. I'm just a new guy. Unless, but yeah, we don't have any backstory on the character. So yeah. Correct. Anyway. That's right. Well, we'll find out later that he wasn't in Granada. Grenada. That, that's the only thing we'll be finding out about him. <laughs> so he mentions the fact of, of an appendicitis. Okay. But what do you know about appendicitis? I know in old times it could be a death sentence, couldn't it, if it burst and you didn't make it to hospital? I know now it's pretty severe if it does burst, but it's not life-threatening anymore. I don't think scientists have worked out why we really have the appendix. Is it still a legacy of our ape background or something? That's a, that's my extent of my knowledge. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll go back a little bit. So the... The first person to describe the condition of an appendicitis was a man named Reginald Fitz back in 1886. Before that, you know, people were dying from it, but they didn't know what it was. They just had a pain in their side or anything like that, right? An mm. appendicitis is most common between the ages of 5 and 40, mm. data from 2015. How many cases of, of, of an appendicitis do you think there were, and how many people uh, died from it in that year globally? Okay, so how many people globally a year? In 2015. 2015. Yeah, okay. I'm assuming it's relatively rare. Um, do you want to say 250,000 people got it? Because bear okay. in mind, a lot of people in poorer countries still might not be able to get the proper diagnosis and they just die and they don't do an autopsy, so they might not know. So a quarter of a million people get it. And you want to say... Okay, one second, one second, one second, one second. I'll let you, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer on that one first before you, you tell me uh, how many you think died. Okay, so you say a quarter of a million. In 2015, 11.6 million people had appendicitis. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh. All right. So of those 11.6 million, how many people do you think died from it in okay. 2015? Okay. Um, 100,000? 50,000. 50,000. Ah. All right. And that number actually went down because in 1990, when this movie takes place, there were 88,000 people that died of an appendicitis. Mm. My dad had his appendix. Most, but has anyone in your family had it? I've never known no, anyone myself. No, 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 no not, that I'm, not that I'm aware of. It is the most frequent diagnosis for, for, for children who are taken to the, to, to the emergency room uh, ages between the ages of 5 and 17 in the U.S. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, they, they claim that it is something that can be hereditary. So there's, it's more likely for someone who's, you know, who had a parent who had an appendicitis for them to also have one later on. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you will only get it that way. Okay. Now, do you know what, what does the appendix do? Do you have any idea? I mean, you mentioned something before about yeah, apes, but, yeah. you know. No, I, I mentioned before, I remember, I remember reading the family <laughs> medical book. It was probably in the sixth, like when I was a kid probably dates back to the 60s and i think they remember saying they weren't quite sure of its evolutionary purpose maybe like the tonsils it's supposed to 
it's supposed to concentrate the disease away from the intestines i don't i've no idea i thought they didn't know right so they actually never knew what it was what it was used for and they people claim that it is not used at all it's known as a vestigial organ which means that it just doesn't really have any uh any real use but uh research from about 10 years ago starts uh started showing that uh, there actually is some use for it and that it's its job is to um to be a reservoir for for beneficial gut bacteria oh, which actually okay. you know helps and things like that so yeah i mean it, it's supposed to be something that 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 helps uh, if you've been poisoned or things like that hopefully no one listening will ever need to, to really know what they need their appendix for you know hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah a, a lot of people uh you know if, if it's not treated properly uh you know you have more of a risk of of it uh, being life-threatening with the whole thing. Telford says, well, word is nobody's better at this than Major Grant. And as he says it, we hear uh, Grant scream, attention! And then, you know, we see a group of, of, of soldiers and people walking, and then John, uh, like, whispers under his breath, well, except maybe Colonel Stewart. <laughs> and then, you know, as as Grant walks by, he goes, I want to hear about that plane those bastard asked for. Then I'll fill you in on my orders. Pilot's briefing room now. And then John turns to Telford and goes, "Keep working." And then, and then we we hear Grant scream, "Alberston, sir, with me." Yes, sir. And you know, it's 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 it seems to me that he's doing this just for, uh, I guess, the the pomp and circumstance. You know, he, it's not really something that he needs to do, but he likes to walk through and you know. And, and shout these orders. As you mentioned earlier, part of the whole idea of him needing to, uh, you know, mention about the plane sounds a little strange. He, he should theoretically already know about, you know, about that there's actually, you know, what they've asked for. They didn't ask for very much. They said they want to, you know, a, a, uh, seven for, uh, a, a cargo plane, uh, what was it, 747 converted cargo plane. Uh, fully fueled. That's all he asked for. Mm. He didn't. He didn't really go into that much detail as to what what he was looking for at the time. So it, it's just very strange. But again, it goes back to the fact that that once you know where this story is going, so it's more for Grant to to try to show that he knows what's going on and and is able to to, to handle the situation. You know, to give confidence to everyone around him that Grant is in control, even though we know the truth. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think well, it's even, true? No, very much. And even John still has, you know, a one out of ten wariness of like he's thinking all these things like in the previous minute, one platoon, and then he's one of your men. So he's having a little precognition, alarm bells are sort of not alarm bells, but he's starting to think, hang on, is this what normally would follow from like where are the men in suits? All right, you've got a few Department of Justice officials. But there should be like negotiation, negotiators there, and a whole lot of other machinery of of policing. And why is it just like a platoon of of grunts here? Um, so yeah, he's he, even Willis is is a bit concerned. I think he's concerned, but he's not he, quite right. Here. Correct, but but he's not suspicious that you know of 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 what we're going to find out later. You know that 
oh, that yes. remains that remains you know something that 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 nobody is expecting. Not even John. You know, you can't say that. Oh, John's going to say, "Oh, I knew it." I, you know, the, the, that's what that's why they're there. No, not at all. Yep. So right, and then basically the the minute ends as this whole group of people they, they parade along, you know, through the through the corridor, and they all go into this uh, elevator. And as they're going into the elevator, John joins them. You know, which which I think is really funny that he thinks that he's supposed to be, you know, part of this whole thing. And then the DOJ guy turns around as he gets into the elevator and puts an arm out to John and goes and starts saying, no, civil. And then he gets cut off in the middle of, of his of his word of what he's saying. But he's trying to say that no civilians are allowed. Now, w- one of the questions that I have is, is, why would an airport have what's known as a pilot's briefing room? You'd think that that's something that sounds more military. Don't you yeah. Think? yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, I, I suppose I'd hope that every airport has a, a space where pilots can go and collect their thoughts. But, I mean, these days I don't think they have to retire and look at maps together and things. So, yeah, it does sound a bit military, unnecessarily militaristic. Yeah, yeah maybe it was a change true. in the script. Um, do you think the actor who plays Trudeau looks uncannily like Joe Don Baker a little bit? Um, um that... <laughs> Fred, Fred Dalton Thompson and Joe Dunbaker definitely uh, have a similar look to them. There's no question about yep. that. And you know that Fred Dalton Thompson was a uh, he became a senator. He was a senator for like 12 or 15 years, something like that. And then he oh, actually really? ran for pre- he ran for president. Oh, uh, blue or red? Was he a Republican? Uh, Republican, Republican. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think his look is? We see it like in the last few seconds of the minute, because I mean he's pretty well disposed to John McClane at the moment. I think in the yeah the he, he 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 seems to sympathize a little bit with John about about the whole thing that maybe they should let John in. You know, John's the only one who's been able to help us here. You know yeah. that type of thing. But but we'll see okay. that we'll get more of that look tomorrow. You have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? No, no. Tell me more. It, well, just the. Bruce Willis seems to have PSD is, but anyway, not an important point. Let's go on with the script. <laughs> right. So the the whole point with the engineers is is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that that continues there, and then it says uh, after Barnes says that they can talk to them and they'll never know, and this is and as his face and his face is brightened for the first time in hours, we cut to the airport police office, and then say widening from a tubular electronic device with torn out wires at both ends. As it clunks down on the table, the second Triple T sergeant wipes grease from his hands, shows it to the men here. Trace the signal found in the luggage area. They've been tapped into your tower all night. So he didn't, doesn't say the word chatter, uh, mm. which which is a good change that they made there. Then says McLean and Trudeau look at Lorenzo, who looks away embarrassed. The young corporal has set up his radio gear in the receptionist area. Now he tunes in in that garble. That's all we keep hearing. Can he do anything with it? Then Talford shakes his head and says, if I only had a few hours, McLean checks his watch. My wife is less than two. Telford sympathetically says, I only got transferred in yesterday. Regular comment man got an appendicitis. But word is nobody's better at this than Major Grant. And McLean goes, except Major, except Colonel Stewart. The kid can't answer. Then Grant appears. The man from the, just, the, the, man from the Justice Department in tow. Grant says, Trudeau, Lorenzo, you brief me on that plane he asked for. I'll fill you in on my orders in my office now. 
my office, meaning Lorenzo's. Lorenzo glowers at that, but the little group moves in that direction. Then the justice guy puts up his hand to block and plane. No civilians. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I actually, it, it's pretty faithful, but I think it would have been better if they had left in the fact that, that uh, he's in my office, meaning Lorenzo's office, yeah. as opposed to trying to, you know, to, and, instead of talking about the pilot briefing room, which we already talked about why that makes little sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's all we got for the script. So every Monday we have a segment called McLean Monday, where my guests will give their top five Bruce Willis performances. So what what have you got for us, John? I want to pref- preface my rankings by saying I love Bruce Willis, but in the cold light of day when I actually looked at his filmography, I thought I haven't actually seen too many of his movies. Um. <laughs> But the ones I have picked on my list, I really like, and I like him in in them. John, why don't you why don't you start with your number five and work your way up? Number five, bottom of the list, but still a pretty good movie and a great memory I have. I first actually watched this on a plane. <laughs> was Mercury Rising? Mm. Um, suspenseful. I liked his rapport with that young kid. I remember that the young kid was anyone famous. I can't remember a lot about the movie, but it was a great mood, so I remember liking that, number five. Number four is his role in Planet Terror, the Grindhouse one, you know, the second one that's not mm-hmm. proof. Yeah. Yep. Um, number three, probably get a lot of crap for this, but Surrogates. Um, I like that. I liked him in that and his relationship with his sort of wife that's plugged into the machine as well. Number two, Unbreakable. Really suspenseful. Um, he's really good in it. I like the ending. Um, some people don't, but yeah, it's my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. And then number one, predictable Die Hard. Can't you can't top <laughs> that. So those are my five. Excellent. So you want to tell people uh, how they can find or how they can get in touch with uh, with, with JBAM? Please just Google Dirty Harry Minute. On Facebook, um, you can listen to the podcast, semi-regular, as in uploads once a year now. It's come to an end, but we're still active. Um, DirtyHarryMinute.com or find it on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite places. And the website, DirtyHarry.Minute.com, has all our contact details. All right. Excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go review and subscribe to any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a movie a minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on uh, Twitter and you can find me on my website, moveraminute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay, ma- If you're <laughs> fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages. Here and